is Coach's Chat. I'm your host, Betsy Foster, personal trainer for over 12 years. I started on a completely different career path and headed into personal training with just a piece of paper that said I could do it. I learned along the way, building a successful personal training career in commercial gyms, privately and remotely. And now I'm here to help you, whether you're a new grad, a career changer, or somebody who's already a pro just looking to get better. I'm sharing what I know, the stuff the textbooks didn't teach you, and bringing on other colleagues to share their experiences. And I'm doing it with compassion, big smiles, and a lot less bravado than you've come to know in the fitness industry. I'm happy you're here. Let's get going. Hello, hello. Welcome back to another episode of Coach's Chat. This weekend, it's Super Bowl Sunday. Um, Listen, I love football. And so I decided, okay, I'm going to make this episode about football. And I I could be really honest with you that I'm irrational about football, that it's like the NFL specifically have a team. If you don't know, it's the Baltimore Ravens. And I love it. I, I, I live for the season. I'm overdramatic about it. I am uh, too emotionally swayed by um, the outcome of something that I have absolutely nothing directly to do with, but that is who I am. And it is really why I became a personal trainer. I tell this story a lot. Um, the reason I wanted to, I was, I was doing dance and theater my whole like growing up time. I was going to go to college for theater, foregone at like age six. Um, but right before I went to college, I was like, maybe I'm going in the wrong direction. I feel like I really want to be an athletic trainer. Now I knew nothing about athletic trainers and what their jobs were, but I wanted the sideline gear and to be on the field in the NFL. Um, That's what I wanted. And so I took a second and didn't go that direction, went and got my undergrad, um, felt, you know, was always a lover of working out, ended up going into personal training, got my graduate degree in exercise science. And that is how I got to where I am. And I would not say that I wish I was training athletes, uh, professional athletes. I would not say that I wish I was an athletic trainer, which is a very different job. And I would not say that I wish I worked in the NFL. I mean, maybe just a smidge here and there, but I'm so glad that that sort of like interest led me to what I actually do and what I really love doing. So when I'm thinking about the episodes for the week before the Super Bowl, I was like, oh, you know, everybody, everything goes into Super Bowl mode the week before the Super Bowl. So let's do it too. And I can do this and talk about this today because I am not stressed about the outcome of the game because my team is not in it. So that helps me. I will be able to enjoy it um, potentially as just a fan of football rather than be way, way stressed. And I don't like... um, None of these teams aren't necessarily like my deepest rivals. So it's also, it'll be fine. But I thought one of the things that I took away from watching sports as a young person, whether that was like watching the trainers um, in the MLB or 
in football or in like different different forms of sport was about sort of how they treated athletes about, you know, I, I picked up things and looked at things that they were doing. And I think there are some valuable lessons from the kind of uh, treatment elite athletes get from their coaching staff, from their training staff that we could use to apply with our personal training clients. Now, I'm saying this with the understanding or the belief that most of the listeners here are probably coming to their training job or their training career as someone who trains general population clientele, meaning folks who have jobs that are not in any sort of athletic field and who trained for quality of life improvements, getting out of pain, um, aesthetic or body comp composition changes, maybe performance goals that are for their recreational sports, things like that. So I'm, I'm thinking about those individuals when I talk about this. Just because we don't train individuals who are considered elite athletes or professional athletes. There are things we can take away from the way they train and apply it to how we coach our clients. Now, there are other things that are just not going to be nearly at all appropriate with our clients, but there are some things that we can take away. And I thought we'd talk about that because you might be able to observe some of those things as you watch the game or you watch like the hours of coverage before the game where they talk about like Patrick Mahomes breakfast strategy and things, but I think there's something we can take away from that. So let's first talk about identifying as an athlete. Many of my clients in particular would not identify as an athlete per se. Maybe they didn't even participate in athletics um, as a younger person or in high school or college or anything like that. But a lot of them, I think now would consider themselves or identify themselves as a quote-unquote fitness athlete. And maybe athlete is not the right word. But like I spoke about in my last episode about motivation, we're trying to get to that state where someone's identity is wrapped up in these behaviors. And that means those behaviors are easier to do it because People like this, people like me do this thing. When we start to get into this identity of someone who works out or someone who trains, and I think training is the optimal word there. When someone understands that they train versus just doing sporadic workouts, they think about the whole picture, the whole encompassing picture. And a lot of times people who are are spending money on personal training, and this isn't... um, this isn't necessarily the rule, understand that a lot of the things that they want to accomplish, they sort of take on more of these sort of health promoting behaviors because they see the full picture and they want to take advantage of the amount of money they're spending on this personal training service. So with a lot of my clients, what I'm trying to approach their training as I want to give them the feel of working with a professional. I'm treating them as their professional training individual. I'm thinking about their program in that way. I'm offering advice about other aspects of their lives 
in that way in, in, in terms of nutrition and sleep and things like that. And we'll talk about it. But I'm also not pretending that they don't have lots of other things that are more the priority. And I would say that the biggest difference that we're talking about in terms of training or working with someone who is a professional athlete versus a general fitness client is that their priorities don't have to be these workouts, don't have to be their nutrition, don't have to be their sleep. They have other things that are leading or driving their lives. And so we can't pretend that they don't. And when we do, we start to disconnect. And I think that that kind of creates a barrier in terms of being able to effectively coach them, because what we want to do is find things that complement their lives. But we also want to treat them as though they respect this with a high priority. And that's one of the things that I think we can do um, very much like professional athletes, or we can take a cue from people who train professional athletes. We also can take a cue just in terms of, again, like that identity. When when we start to help someone see themselves as a person who can accomplish these things, who does prioritize these things, who can fit it in, who can find ways to... Um, to see the benefits of all of the little actions connecting them together, they tend to be more up for doing it all. They can stick with it. They can create a sustainable habit. So it's something to think about. There's a camp of trainers who really think about like treating your client like an athlete. And then I would say there's a camp of trainers who are like, that's actually more detrimental. And I think it's about thinking about that individual client and seeing what they need. Now, regardless of whether a person thinks they are training like a professional athlete or not, there are three big takeaways I think you can take from this elite level of performance that you can use with any client across the board. So number one, and this might be to anyone who isn't all that familiar with the concept might be like the most surprising, but then when you hear it back, you may it may seem really um, intuitive. And that is the importance of, number one, minimal effective dose. So when we're thinking about a high-performance athlete, when you look at their strength workouts, they don't, they aren't overloaded with lots of excess movement, not a lot of excess volume. Maybe they have one big movement, two accessory movements, a little bit of like uh, power or speed work at the start of the workout, and they have worked in their sort of like active mobility, The especially given different times of their season. And we're actually going to talk about seasonality as well. But they're not overdoing it in the same way the best coaches are finding practice strategies that have some have their athletes work really hard but not destroy their bodies in practice so they can't perform they're not um 
doing things over and over and over and over again. They're finding what we would call the minimal effective dose. So what is the least amount I can do, still create the adaptation, the skill acquisition, whatever that may be, what I'm desiring in the most, the least amount, the least amount. Because we're trying to save wear and tear. We're trying to keep someone feeling their best. And that's 100% what we should be doing with all of our clients. So many people who work out a lot overdo it. And they overdo it in not great ways because we've been, we've been taught and taught and taught that more, more, more is better. More training, more cardio. Oh, things aren't going well for me. I need to add in a workout. I need to do more steps during the day. Some of these things may be appropriate. You may need to adjust and have a little more of one thing or another. But for the most part, a lot of that added volume is not what we're looking for. Instead, we're trying to find a way to take away some of that volume, but still be able to train hard. So we play around with intensity in that way. And so we can also apply that concept of minimal effective dose to adding habits and things. If we think about helping our clients with habits and we tell them to do a thousand things, it's going to be too hard to manage. What is the one thing that would make the most change and also cause the least amount of disruption to their lives so that they're able to manage it? They're able to keep going with it. That's an example. So when we look at our programming, when we look at our um at the habits that we're offering or any sort of wellness plan we're creating for our clients. Because when I'm thinking about that, I'm thinking not just about their strength program, but maybe their cardio, maybe their nutrition, maybe the sleep that you're talking about, or, or any sort of habit changes they might be incorporating. We're looking for minimal effective dose. And they do that so well in the pros because they have to. They have to. Those folks cost money. Those are big, big money decisions. Big money decisions. And if you were watching the like um, divisional round where the Chiefs were playing the Bills. That's what I think it was. And, um, you know, Patrick Mahomes sustains his high ankle sprain. And it's like he's getting back out there. And to me as a coach, I'm sitting like, I understand that personality. But if we're moving on, I'm still going to need you. You're a valuable, valuable piece. And so I may not be hammering in. And and his workouts after that aren't going like, all right, we got to go as hard as we can to fix this. They're probably figuring what can we do right now that is the least amount of wear and tear on you, but still moves us forward. So minimal effective dose. Minimal effective dose. Number two, the importance of routine. I think some of the most interesting stuff before these big games are um, are the uh, is the talk about like the players' routines, like how they wake up, what they usually eat, when they go to the practice field, when they show up for the game, what time they always warm up, and in a lot of these situations, you get really superstitious players who have like you know the same 
underwear that they're wearing or the same setup or they eat the same food beforehand. And while some of that can be to the extreme, I think that there is a real lesson to be taken from the importance of routine and how routine can control the uncontrollable. So if we have a routine in place, if we have something that we can depend on all almost consistently or as consistently as possible, then when things come up, we can fall back on that routine and it's there to sort of save us and help us keep going forward. Sometimes the routine is going to get shaken up and there's nothing you can do about it. You know, I'm sure that there's some player in the history of of athletics who had the great, you know, underwear and then they sent them to the dry cleaners and they didn't get them back. And, you know, they had to go out and play that game no matter what. I don't know. That's maybe a little ridiculous story. But I do think there's something to be take to be looked at in terms of when we set ourselves up for success, when we have consistency around when we go to sleep, if we have consistency around when we go to the gym, if we have consistency around how we prioritize movement on the weekends, we're more likely because it's just our routine. It's just our routine. So is instead of working with your clients on extremes, can you work on creating some kind of routine. And sometimes for some people, like let's think about shift workers, that routine is not going to be as easy or it's going to be something that is going, you know, going to be so essential and it's also going to be different than everybody else's or it's going to have maybe more interruptions. But routine takes away some of that stress of the unknown. Kids really thrive in routine. Um, If you think about these athletes, they're probably really thriving in routine. You know, they probably came to Arizona for this game days and days ahead of time so that they can start to get this routine before they have to play their game. And they do this in all sort of like areas of, um, of professional sports, of amateur sports, things like that. So thinking about how you can help your client create a routine that works for them and that and allow and gives them the opportunity to have something to fall back on. And then number three takeaway from this big game, the big game, is the end of season energy that they're putting out. And They can only have end of season energy because there are seasons, meaning we have got to periodize people's programs like they have a preseason, an off season, an in season, a playoffs, you know, and right. It's not going to perfectly match an NFL season, which is designed in a way that you know, you know, is consistent every single year. And so they're able to build around that season schedule. If you think about baseball or you think about hockey or you think about basketball, longer season sports, it's a little harder. You know, there's so much more time that's in season. So that off season, preseason energy is going to be different. But if you think about it, the reason why these athletes are going to be able to go all out 
in this game is because they know there's no game after this. This is it. There is no game after this. After this, they get to go to a beach somewhere and relax. After this, they don't have to think about football for at least a few weeks before they start thinking about if they still have a job next year or whatever. They have some time. They have some downtime in their future. We oftentimes with with general fitness clients or quote unquote, you know, regular people, train them the exact same way all year round. And maybe every 12 weeks we give them a deload. That is probably going to be in some ways effective because they aren't going to have as big a differences in their year. There aren't as big markers. But if they have a goal that they really want to work to, if they really want to perform to, then we have to give them an opportunity to have end of season energy. We have to give them an opportunity where they're working to a time and then they know after this time, they're going to get a break and we're going to go and we're going to shift into a different kind of training. Knowing that allows the nervous system to act in a way that we want to. It allows us psychologically to prepare and push ourselves. If every single week is the same, even if your client has no idea when their deload is coming, they are going to perform in a way that's sort of like, you know, keeping the effort controlled. And we do want to control things, but we also want to have moments where we can absolutely push. We can't push to 110%, 100% of the time. That's how we get injured. That's how we get too tired. That's how we get sick. That's how we get, you know, over it because we're fatigued all the time and we're not recovering. So we have to allow for periods of time where we're going to train harder and then where we're going to work on something else. And so I think it's worthwhile, especially if you have clients who train with you consistently. Like, let's say you're getting a new client and you have them on a three-month contract, maybe you're talking about their three months as their whole in-season, you know, whatever that may be. If you have been, and this is for many trainers, this is the case, if you've been training the same person for three years, and they have no intention of stopping anytime soon. I think about this because I walk up to the gym I used to work at, and some of those same clients are in there, and they've been in there for five years before I got there. So now they're at like, you know, 12 years they've been training, you have the opportunity with that person who's been around that long, you know when they go on vacation or what's important to them or when they're going to take breaks and then when you can build up to their goals, when you can make their training more difficult, when you should ease off. And that can be exciting. And I think you'll find that you, you have a more genuine interest in programming when there's some variation in it. Then you allow them to have that end of season energy. They can perform, they can hit PRs because they know they're getting a break soon. They're getting a break soon. So I love that. I want you to think about those things. There are lots of other things that you could think about. I, you know, you can watch them do their warm-ups on field. You can take a look at what they're doing while they're resting on the sidelines. Um, There's a lot about, you know, looking at sort of how people dial in from a psychological standpoint and from like the psychology of sport and things like that, but, and focus and and all of that. But I, I think these three are big ones that can apply to all of our clients. 
So let me remind you of those three and then I'll say goodbye and allow you to get to your weekend or even if you're listening to this after, you can be thinking about how it might have impacted um, things, you know, these aren't really exactly how to watch, but there's something to think about. Number one, minimal effective dose. What is the least I can do for the most effective result? It's not always about more, more, more. It's actually how can we pare it down to its simplest form where the cost is the least and the benefit is the greatest. Number two, the importance of routine. Routine creates consistency and allows our consistency to thrive even when elements out of our control start to come in. We're better prepared. We have a routine. We have a way of doing things. And it also helps with that identifying aspect. And then number three, end of season energy. The only way we have end of season high performance energy is if we have seasonality in our programming. So we're talking about different times where we're doing different things. Do they have to be exactly like an athlete's off season, preseason, in season, postseason? Not necessarily. You can design what's best for your client. But when we have different points of time, we allow for the kind of periodization that's going to help us perform at a high level, stay safe, and recover well. Okay? All right. Um, if you like football and you like this or you're watching, if you end up listening to this before the Super Bowl and then you want to send me a DM while you're watching... Um, let me know. I'm always interested in talking about interests that are outside of training. So, or if you've got questions about the things I talked about today, um, you can always DM me on Instagram. That's like the easiest way to contact me at foster underscore strength. Or you can email me Betsy at the letter B fosterstrong.com B fosterstrong.com. Um, all right, go do amazing things. And until next time, bye.